You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Uh, good to see you guys. Glad to be back home with you. <laughs> hey. So uh, check this out. I'm so grateful for Humby and Jen and Carlos Maestas and Robbie, who gave an awesome series on promises. Would you guys join me in thanking them for that awesome series that we got last uh, month there? And so I'm glad to be back, back home with you. And uh, I've been challenged through this book to kind of think through the vision of City Church downtown and where we're going as a church. And so I wanted to read you this statement about our vision. It's the vision for City Church downtown is an exponentially multiplying kingdom movement. Those words are picked very specifically for a purpose, exponentially multiplying kingdom movement. And in this particular book that I've been reading, it challenges you to write down numerically a a goal or a a vision, a numeric vision. And so I played along with the little exercise, and I thought to myself, well, because of past experience at another city church, I was on the team that helped another city church grow to around 5,000 people. And so I thought, well, I'll be visionary, and our people downtown are bad to the bone, so we can grow to like 7,000 people, I thought to myself. I mean, I thought, I'm thinking big, I'm thinking, you know, visionary, and all this kind of stuff like the book's trying to get you to do. And then the book says, multiply the number you just wrote down by 100 and I'm kind of laughing to myself. Yeah, whatever, dude. Okay, I'll, I'll play along. So I write down that number, and that number would be 700,000. Right? That's a big number. And then I'm thinking to myself, this is just pie in the sky. You know, how, how could this happen? And then the book goes on to say the kingdom of God is designed to multiply exponentially. Now, notice I said And the book said, kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Doug, not the kingdom of city church, but like the kingdom of God. And that's a very important distinction. And so we're interested here at City Church in exponentially multiplying God's thing, not our thing, see? God's vision and God's mission. Now, more on this later and throughout the month, but I thought to myself, you know, if this thing's gonna grow... And if our church continues to grow like it's doing, well, I like the people that it grows with. You know, I'm just being honest with you. That's what I think about. Uh, Well, I like the people that it grows with. Um, So how about you? You know, are there people that annoy you? And over the years, no doubt you've heard me talk about, because I'm real honest with you about the types of people that annoy me and get on my nerves, and I, you maybe heard me say, I'm praying that the fleas of a million camels will nest on their armpits, you know? Uh, like, for example, uh, I've had a couple of bicycles stolen, you know, I moved into the inner city. It's kind of like your Urban Homeowners Association tax, you know? You get your bicycle stolen, and one bicycle got stolen right here at the church. I parked it in the cafe as I rode my bike to work. Someone goes in there, steals my bike. Dude ganks my bike. Jesus wants me to love him, but I'm like, no, Jesus. Cause the fleas of a million camels to nest on his armpit. And as he rides off on my bike, made the front wheel fall off and he break his face, you know? This is the way I feel. Another group of people that annoys me while I'm venting here uh, is when people plan downtown events on Sundays that interfere with church services and church parking. Ask my staff team. That annoys me to no end, right? 
you're, you're as bad a Christians as I am, you know? It's, it's, it's like, I get mad about that kind of stuff. Um, these are people that I'm just, I, they, as soon as they put their event on the calendar, may the fleas of a million camels nest right on their armpits and bite them voraciously, you know? Uh, that's what I'm, I'm praying for. So uh, uh, camel flea people, let me give you a definition since we're going deep theologically today. Uh, camel flea people are people with which you disagree, people you consider unclean or less than. So who are the camel flea people for you? Because I know there's someone that's a camel flea person for you. Some of you are like <laughs> those people who watch CNN all the time, camel flea people. For others of you, it's like those people that wear Make America Great Again hats, you know, camel flea people. Uh, seriously, you know what I'm saying? And then uh, for others of you, it's like you're so urban to the core, and you're just like those north side people, you know. Uh, camel, it's like Stone Oak. It starts with an S, Satan. That's where Satan lives up there, you know, uh, where all the houses are tan, you know what I'm saying? So uh, camel flea people up there. Some of you are in the inner city, and you look at those that live on the, the east side. You're like, oh, gangsters, crime. You know, east side, they're camel flea people. But, of course, it's gentrifying, and now everybody takes care of their yard. So the east side, you're not as OG as you used to be, you know what I'm saying? But then there's uh, some of you, like, well, you're down in the inner city, and you're like all those ones on the west side, the wessel you know? They're uh, camel flea people right over there. You know what's coming, south side people, right? Some of us judge those people who live on the south side right now. Love me some south side. Naughty people on the south side down there. For some of you, it's other kinds of people. It's like those Alamo Heights people as if, you know, you know, they're so snooty over there as if everyone who has money is a bad person, you know. Uh, others, you like those hipsters, they're, they're camel flea people or those rednecks or those Catholics or those Protestants or uh, those people who have done jail time, ex-cons, you know, they're, they make me uncomfortable or uh, I met some ladies in our church that come up to talk to me and they worked as dancers, you know, and I'm not talking about square dancers, you know. <laughs> So who is it that makes you uh, uncomfortable or who would you see as a camel flea kind of person? And what I realized one day is that around the world, there's someone that's going to see everyone as a camel flea person. It dawned on me, there are actually people that see me as a camel flea person. And I learned this one day when Jeannie and I were in Jerusalem and we went to the Western Wall like you do as a tourist, you know, and it's this wall in Jerusalem where you go and you write down a little prayer request on a piece of paper and you stick it between the bricks and the wall there and you pray. And I brought a picture of praying there at the Western Wall. I got done doing my little prayer there like you do and I was walking away from the wall and I ran across this guy in the crowd who was an Orthodox Jewish guy who was in all the regalia and everything and since it was kind of crowded, I'm kind of tapping him on the, I'm about to tap him on the shoulder to get by, you know, so I could get through to my tour group and before I could touch him, he's like, oh, he wouldn't let me touch him, freaked out and it dawned on me in that moment, he thinks I'm unclean. As an Orthodox Jewish guy, he thinks this Gentile, if this Gentile touches him, he's going to be unclean and he can't go to worship. He thinks I'm a camel flea person. And I thought to myself, I know what I want to do. I want to just give him a frontal bro hug, right? And lick my finger and give him a wet willy in his ear right there. You want to be unclean, Jack? I can straight up make you unclean. You know what's the funny thing? You're a camel flea person to someone. 
I know it galls you to think so, <laughs> just as it does me. And what dawned on me, it made a lot of stories that Jesus tell make sense for me. Because his disciples and the people in his region thought that all Gentiles were camel flea people. That includes all of us. And so he's trying to root this out of his disciples and particularly his best friend, John. And John was supposed to be the apostle to Asia Minor, to go to Asia Minor. Talking about camel flea people, Asia Minor was like headquarters for people that the Jews would consider camel flea people. They had all these pagan practices and the like. And when eventually John would get there, uh, he would see that they worshiped these mythical gods. And one of those would be Dionysius, who was the god of wine. So it was believed by the ancients in Asia Minor that Dionysius uh, could actually transform water to wine. And then there was the mythical god Ascalapius, who was a physician god who could heal people with moving water. And then there was Demeter, who was like this goddess of groceries, and she's thought to have um, distributed bread to people and fed people with bread. And so maybe that's why when John wrote his gospel, he wrote the first three miracles of Jesus, is Jesus turning water to wine. And by the way, the wine that Jesus turned the water to was not Merlot or not Night Train Express, but it was like a really great Cabernet Sauvignon. I can imagine, but I'll tell you this, in that moment, Jesus, uh, 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 John records what Jesus did. He's saying, hey, look, Dionysius is not God. Jesus is God. I saw him really do it. It's not just a myth. And then he records the second miracle where Jesus healed a man by the pool of Bethesda, like where there was moving water. And so John is saying, Ascalapius is not God. Jesus is really God. I saw him do it. And then uh, Jesus uh, feeds 5,000 people. And it's like John is saying, Demeter is not God. Jesus is God. I saw him really feed like 5,000 guys and their families bread one day. So Jesus, as we study this story, the feeding of the 5,000 today, um, was radically adjusting the way his disciples would view who they were to target within their ministry. And some of you know the story. If you've gone to church, if you've not been in church, I want to explain the story. I'll give you kind of a, a shortened version of it. This group of people have been listening to Jesus teach all day. There's 5,000 guys in their families, and they're getting pretty hungry and Jesus says, guys, you need to feed them. And the disciples are like, how are we going to feed them? Because we don't have the resources to do that right now. We'd have to go to a town and we don't have the money. Jesus says, what do you got in your hand? And what they go around, they can scrounge up. Uh, this little kid has five loaves of bread of like wonder bread. You like how I just did that right there? Wonder bread is kind of a miracle. Get it? See, it's like he probably... So, um, and then a couple of fish sticks and um, takes his fish sticks and bread and multiplies it there. So we get more detail of the story in Mark's account. And I want to go there just for a minute. Look at Mark chapter 6, verse 39. It says, then Jesus told his disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them, and then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up how many? 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. 
And so you see the miracle happening there. It could be that he multiplied. I've heard some commentators say that it was five loaves of bread because the Jewish people saw the word of God as like bread for their souls. And there are five books of Torah and there are two fish. And Jesus summed up the entire five books of Torah in two simple commandments. Love God with all your heart and love other people like you love yourself. But then Jesus crosses the lake with his disciples. It was the Sea of Galilee. They call it, in the Bible, it says a sea. It's really more like the size of a lake. And so they get on the other side. And while they're there, a similar miracle takes place. Now, some scholars have said it's the same event, but it's clearly a different event because the details are way different. And this time, it's 4,000 people who are listening to Jesus teach. This time, it's the same scenario. The 4,000 people are hungry. Jesus says, scrounge up what you can, disciples, so that you can feed this a crowd of 4,000 guys and their families. He does. He scrounges up, uh, you know, just some seven loaves of bread, a few fish, and look what happened after Jesus multiplied it in Mark chapter 8, verse 8. It says, they ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up how many? Seven large baskets of leftover food. So Jesus does a very similar thing again. And those of you that have studied Jewish rabbis know that they repeat things that are important. In fact, I'm repeating this story. I have to teach this at least once every year or two because this story is so central to our ethos and environment as a church. And some of you don't come to church every Sunday. Camel fleas, watch out, man. Okay, uh, but, but some of you are new and haven't heard us tell this story and what it means for our church. And so Jesus is challenging his disciples to get a bigger picture message. Look at Mark 8, 18. He says, have you eyes? Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all when I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread? How many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? What's the number? 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? What's the number? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. So what is it that Jesus wants them to understand? Because I don't know if you're like me, but when I would read that, I'm like, what is it that you're trying to get us to understand through this? And so I'm going to illustrate it by doing a little crowd participation game. This is where you have to kind of play along, okay? And I'm going to divide you guys up into three groups. So if you're right about here in the middle of this section, all the way back up to the balcony and to my right, you're going to be group number one. Group number one, you get your hands up here. Okay. Well, some of you are too close. You're going to be in the middle group. So don't, don't try and cross over groups. Okay. Let's keep it that keeps the groups pure. Okay. Okay. So we've got group number one over here. And if you're about midway in this section over to about midway of this section in the middle, raise your hands. You're going to be group number two. Okay, you get your hands up there, even in the balcony. Thank you for participating up there. Um, and then those of you who are on uh, the middle of the section over to my left, you're right. You're going to be group number three. Would you guys get your hands up real, real quick there, group number three? Oh, you're a good group. You, you participate well. You get a star uh, today. Here's what this is. So when Jesus was on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, you, are, you guys are on the west side. He was in an area called the Land of the Twelve. 12 tribes of Israel, good religious Jewish people. So what I want you to do, group number one, is you, you could pat someone on the back who's next to you and tell them, you good. Go ahead. <laughs> Doesn't it feel good? They're good. They're not great, so don't hang, you know, don't go too far with this. 
So Jesus, in this area of the land, he like, um, I learned this from a guy named Ray Vanderlein. He's like, he multiplied the loaves and fishes and fed over 5,000 people in this area where there was these good religious people. And then he gets in a boat with his disciples and group number two, you ready? You're the Sea of Galilee. You're the lake. And what I want you to do is do the wave when I walk across stage here. You ready? Here we go. Let's make it fun. You ready? Sea of Galilee. So Jesus' disciples get in the boat and they go across the lake. Woo, here we go. Oh, uh, I know some of you wanted to play along with group number two. They, it's, it's a cap group. You want to play along. And so once they go in the boat and get across to the east side, you know, the east side, you guys are OGs, man. You guys are the camel flea people. You're the pagan people. And so I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them you got to fight for your right, as the Beastie Boys say, to party. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Be careful over here, group number three. This is the family show. And so what Jesus did, he, when he got to this side of the lake, they're called the land of the seven. There were seven basketfuls left over here. Now, why were they called the land of the seven if they're honorary people, if they're party people, if they're pagan people? Because after all, isn't it kind of like in Vegas in the Bible that seven is a good number, you know? Um, well, here's what's going on here is that the Jewish people in the land of the 12, they would compare the morals of the people in the Decapolis area where the pagans lived. They would compare their morals to the morals of the seven people groups that Joshua wanted to kick out of the promised land um, through war. So if you went back to Joshua, you would read about the Hittites and Canaanites and Perizzites and Vegemites and all these other ites, you know, there were seven of them uh, in this group. And so when Jesus does these miracles, John says that Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And the question is, who am I the bread of life to? And the answer is this. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life to the people in the land of the 12 and land of the seven. You see what he's getting at there? Jesus is trying to include a wider group of people in his kingdom, see? So uh, camouflage people, to reach them, is somewhat counterintuitive. And a lot of churches don't get it. And that's the same thing with Jesus' disciples. They didn't get it. So Jesus uses this fishing metaphor to show it to them. After he'd risen again from the dead, uh, he shows up on the shore as they're out in the boat. And I want to take you to John chapter 21 verse 5, and it's Jesus, he called out to his disciples, fellows, have you caught any fish? The answer is no. And that's the same answer that a lot of churches would give as to, are you having any baptisms in your church? And for a lot of people, the answer is no. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. And that's the counterintuitive part. These guys thought they already knew. 
And a lot of us in churches think we already know everything. We already know what to do. We already know how to grow our churches and ministries. But I think what Jesus is calling us to do to further his kingdom is to think differently and throw our nets on the other side of the boat. And so what I'm going to do is fast forward down to the end of that passage for the sake of time. It says, bring some of the fish that you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. And some scholars believe that at that time in history, there were 153 different people groups or different nations around the world that were known at that time. And Jesus is saying, I want you, my people, to be a light to all the nations and take the bread of life to all the different people groups, including the people that in your heart and mind you view as camel flea kinds of people. And so some other scholars would say that Uh, the way the boat was probably facing during this encounter, that if they threw their nets on the right-hand side of the boat, it would have been towards the east side, towards the Decapolis, towards the seven pagan people groups. Reach out to the camel flea people. And when you come to our church and hear the music and hear uh, uh, the, the classes that we offer and experience the environment, it's very specific. We offer the classes and services and everything we do to reach camel flea people. So who are we targeting here at City Church downtown? Are we trying to target those of our friends that are evangelical Christians that go to a good Bible-believing church who may be mad at their pastor at a given time? The answer to that question is no. We are not targeting people who are going to other good churches. The Bible says in Luke 5, 32, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. And look, over the years, I've met a lot of people who are starting up ministries and churches and stuff. And I've met a lot of those people who come to our church. They're starting up a church or a ministry and they come to our church. And the reason they come to our church is because they have to recruit new people to go to their church or their ministry. And you know what? Honestly, I'm okay with that. I hope that we fill up churches all over the city and the state and all over the world with people who uh, have at one time been in our church. But here's what I'm trying to get across today is that if church people are only going to other churches to get new people with which to grow their ministries, it's just changing buildings and swapping sheep. It doesn't advance God's kingdom anywhere. See? And we see all over this country, the numbers are in, we've all read them and heard them, that church attendance is declining in America. And what I'm telling you, it's not because people don't want God, it's because churches don't wanna grow their numbers from people who are camel flea people. They just wanna swap sheep. And what unchurched people are waiting for are Christ followers and churches who are willing to engage them in spiritual conversation and to love them. And we wanna be that church. We love land of the 12 people, but we also love camel flea people. And what we've come to realize is it's not us and them, it's just us, isn't it? Can it just be us? So this is why we feel it's important to take a month to clearly explain what we're trying to do here at City Church downtown. That is who we want to reach, who we want to grow our numbers from. 
We also want you uh, to understand from where we've come in the past. That's why next week we're going to be celebrating our 10-year anniversary. We're going to talk about our history as a church down here. Uh, we're also going to be talking about in the coming weeks what we're trying to become as Christ followers and where we're going into the future and how God is going to continue to increase this movement. So speaking of that, let me go back to where we started. Remember I was going through that book exercise where I wrote down a number and the number was 700,000. And I thought that's a pretty big number. And speaking of big numbers, you know, I was thinking back on Easter this year because you guys know that on Easter, typically we will rent Lone Star Pavilion over here at Sunset Station because we can't hold the numbers of people in our little theater here that want to come and worship on Easter. And man, our staff, we were foaming at the mouth. We were thinking big, right? I mean, isn't it good that more people would come to church and more people would come to faith in Christ and be baptized and all that? That's good, right? But we are planning for these big numbers. And then we had a wrench thrown into the situation because the final four was going to be here. Um, and uh, it was going to keep us from renting that. People with Final Four events rented up all of our parking, rented up the venue we were supposed to have, and I was starting to pray my camel flea prayer. <laughs> you can ask our team. I was, I was a little bit upset about it because, man, we were just going to move to the next level and all this kind of thing, but then I had the thought, kingdom. Maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe this isn't something bad, and God knows what's going on here, and perhaps God is bringing people here from all over the world and all over the country to be able to experience his kingdom. See, and maybe it's not about our little kingdom. So we started praying to that effect, and I remember uh, your staff team and I, we knelt down, we prayed uh, right upstairs here in our staff meeting, and we asked God to move, and we just submitted the whole thing to him. And that week was a lot of fun at Easter. I mean, you guys know it was a pain to park, and it was a pain to get shuttled here from like a mile away or whatever, you know, and you guys were so cool about it, and we had great Easter services and everything. And one of the fun parts about it is we had a few celebrity guests to come and worship here because of our proximity to the Alamo Dome, and uh, I met, you know, some uh, professional athletes and people like that who happened to be traveling here for the basketball tournament. And one of the people that I met that day was Ernie Johnson, because uh, I love TNT and the halftime show and all that that he does. And I respect him the way he went through cancer and endured that and kept a great you know, testimony of his faith through that. And the way he spoke out about the divisiveness in our country and particularly in politics. And just Ernie Johnson is a great, humble, awesome Christian dude. And that uh, excited me. And so that was kind of a bonus that happened on Easter Sunday. And then last week, if you fast forward to last week, I was in Africa and I get this message from a staff member that Ernie like gives us this major shout out on TV uh, at halftime of the basketball game. And so we brought that for those of you that perhaps did not see that particular halftime show. Go ahead and play that. During Final Four, I was able to, uh, on Easter Sunday, went to City Church downtown at San Antonio. This is a great church, doing great things for the people there, and a wide demographic there. And it's just a beautiful place. Made my Easter Sunday very special. So 2,500 to City Church downtown at San Antonio. Shout out to the pastor there, Doug Robbins, over there at Cameo Theater. You guys do a great job. That's fun, right? So, of course, you know, I was flattered by that and everything, and that was fun. Um, and then I asked Humby, you know, I'm thinking about the 700,000 number. I'm going through this exercise while I'm in my hotel room in, in Africa. 
and I messaged Humby because he used to work in television. I said, how many people actually saw that good message about our church in downtown San Antonio? And he ran the numbers and said it was probably in the neighborhood of 1.8 million people saw that message right on. So see, look. When we submit whatever we're doing to God's kingdom, you know what he does? He multiplies things in a way that will just blow your mind in our little kingdoms, doesn't he? That's the ways of God and his kingdom, the way he wants to spread his word. And I'm gonna be talking to you a lot more about that in the coming weeks, but you know, the thing that excited me about Easter this year more than just meeting Ernie Johnson was another guest that's probably not as well known. Her name is Maria Lena, and she works for Turner Broadcasting. And she sent me this message I wanted to read to you. She said, I wanted to reach out because I was in San Antonio working for the Final Four and came to your church on Easter Sunday. I felt an obligation to go, but was looking forward to checking out a new church. You see, I was raised Roman Catholic and have been struggling with my relationship with the church for some time. I just didn't have a connection and wasn't comfortable when in church. And I was envious of those people who liked going to church, enjoyed going to church. And I've never been that person who enjoyed going to church. After attending your one o'clock service, I'd wish that a church like yours existed where I lived in New Jersey. I loved the message, the music, and the community. I went back to work that same day and started searching online with no luck. However, on your website, I stumbled upon your podcast and downloaded a few episodes for the flight home. And I heard Pastor Doug's episode about how he was originally bummed out about giving up access to Sunset Station during the final four. Then realized what an opportunity, he realized what an opportunity it could be. I just wanted to say that it was my company that took over Sunset Station. <laughs> and that he was right. Not only did our beloved Ernie Johnson attend one of your services, but there were a few of us. And it was this service that sparked a desire in me to keep tuning into your podcast, to hear your message all the way from New Jersey. Thank you very much. And keep up the great work. And look, Maria Lena, I know you're listening right now, perhaps even watching. First thing I want to say is I forgive you. But the second thing I want to say is on behalf of the entire family here at City Church downtown, whether or not God ever wants us to impact 700,000 people, we want to be that church that reaches the one. And you're that one. And we love you and thank God for what God's doing in your life. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I couldn't help but think that if God brought someone here from New Jersey to spark up a renewed interest in him, is it out of the realm of the possibility that maybe he brought you here just from another part of town or from down the street, God brought you here because he wants you to transition from camel flea person to your new identity as son or daughter of God. And you do that through the cross. You just simply believe. You don't have to jump through a bunch of religious hoops. You just believe and receive the truth that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died there to pay the penalty 
for your sins. So just believe it and receive it right now. And you know what happened just then as you believed that? You were transitioned, born again into the kingdom of God and you're no longer a camel flea person. You are a beloved daughter. You're a loved, treasured son. And God placed us here in the heart of the city so that we could welcome God's children into his kingdom. So when you came in today, you received a little white magnet, did you not? And I wanna tell you what that's for. We're gonna do some praying here in just a minute. We're gonna stand up and sing, and we're gonna invite you to come and kneel and pray at the front as is one of our customs to do. And what I'd like you to do, you'll, you'll find some Sharpie markers here on the stage just laying here. Some are in containers along there. And I want you to write down the name of a person that you know who feels far from God, who feels like a camel flea kind of a person. Now remember, these are not just random prayer requests for someone who needs a job or someone who needs health or something like this. This is a very specific prayer. This is a prayer for someone who does not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that you want to have that relationship. And we're gonna start praying for them right now today. So write their name and then we transform the front of our stage into a magnet. We painted magnet paint on there. So all you have to do is stick your magnet on front of the stage there. And then when you come down, you stick the magnet on there and you pray for that person that God would do a work in their life. Because how many of you know that we can't change anyone's heart or mind, but that's the Holy Spirit's job. And that's why everything by prayer, right? Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. So we're gonna stick it on there and pray first. Some of you might pray for other names that you see near the name that you wrote down and stuck on the front of the stage. And right now is gonna begin a wave of the movement of the Holy Spirit of God to draw his kids, some of them are who are hanging on by a thread, to come to faith in him and know him and experience the healing that comes in Christ. So let's stand up together. You come, stick those on here, kneel and pray. Father, we thank you. You've been so good to us here. You've been so good that even when we felt so distant from you, that you reached out to such as us. And so that's why we're praying over these names right here. We're not forgetting from where we've come, broken and hurting. And Father, there are people that are on this front of the stage right now, their names some of them are hurting right now. They're in depressions right now. Some of them are thinking about suicide right now. Some of them are wondering if there's anyone in the universe that even cares about them. And we say right now that the Holy Spirit of God is released to begin this wave of movement for your kingdom, God, not ours. And we ask that the nets would hold as we try and haul in a great harvest of souls that are now becoming your sons and your daughters. And when we see many people that we have written their names here, baptized and changed, we will be very clear and quick to give you honor, glory, and credit. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and take a seat. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.